Ronananian. I wonder if manufacturers are really playing the game square in terms of the way they treat recall. Well, the games people play now, every night and every day now, never meaning what they say now, never saying what they mean. While they while away the hours in their ivory towers, till they covered up with flowers in the back of a black limousine. The Car Doctor. God gave me the ability to do one thing right. And most of the time else, I just fix cars. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, 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 welcome. Ronnie Nini and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. That's the Car Doctor's 24-7 number, 855-560-9900. Give us a call, and we will solve your automotive problem. And if we're not here, leave a message, and our executive producer, Fast Harry, will give you a call back and put you in queue and we can talk to you the following week when we are live. This radio show is live out there on the network Saturday afternoons, two to four p.m. Eastern time, and um, we will uh, for the and some we're on delayed broadcast, and we will uh, put you in queue and talk to you the next time we're live out here on the air. And don't be afraid to come on live radio. It's it's you know we still hear that um, you know quite often, and uh, I'm surprised, but uh, I think I like to think that um, we we kind of make it easy. We're not here to beat you up. We're here to just you know help educate you and everybody else, and uh, and we learn too. We we enjoy talking to each and every one of you, because um, I always learn something every week when I do this show that, uh, you know, it just shows me the perspective and from what angle you attack your idea of maintaining the automobile. And um, it's, uh, it's what makes it fun these past 25 years. Today marks the uh, beginning of our 20, I think this is the beginning of our 25th year. Or it's the end of our, yeah, 25 years we're on the air. That's right. Had a 98 Volkswagen. There's no easy way to start this conversation, so we'll just dive right in. The repair of the week. Had a 98 Volkswagen Beetle come in the shop this week. It started off simply and simple enough. Kind of like, you know, Red Riding Hood and the Three Bears. Best of intentions, but things just go wrong. And the Three Bears is probably the correct analogy because here comes this 98 Volkswagen that it had sat for a couple of days. And when they started it, it ran rough. And it just it chugged and it it it, it kind of bucked and it didn't run smooth and oh my gosh it's going to stall and then all of a sudden it straightened itself right out but the check engine light was on Ron you got to take a look at it for me okay brought it in did my due diligence you know uh, diagnose it go through the usual routine um, you know apply the diagnostic routine that I've I've kind of honed over the years and came down to where it had three trouble codes. The problem is it had three faults that I, the only way I can explain it to you is it would be if you went to the doctor, you had an earache, you had a backache, and you stubbed your big toe. All the ailments were part of the same physical body, but they had nothing to do with each other. We had a P0302 misfire. We had a P0440 EVAP system large leak system failure, and we had a P1128 Lean fuel adaptive max limit reached. Now, the interesting part is the car ran fine. And how do you attack that? Where do you attack that? 
And do you attack that? And it, it, it makes for an interesting day. And it was it was Monday this past. Was it Monday? What day was it? Yeah, it was Monday this past week when I attacked this and I started it. One of the things you have to do in a diagnosis is gather information. You're a lot like NCIS. And one of the things I love about that show is, you know, Gibbs will always say, hey, go gather some information. It's like fixing a car. You've got to gather information. You've got to get the pieces together and see how they fit in the puzzle. The P0302... And you treat each one individually, which is what I did. The P0302, the misfire, intermittent, not likely that it's mechanical. Twice in my lifetime I've seen an intermittent mechanical failure causing a misfire. So it's not that common. Most common on Volkswagens, ignition systems. This has the three-electrode spark plug. And what they will typically do is where the end tip or the, the, the side electrode concave and create misfire problems. And I pulled two of the plugs, and sure enough, the plugs were tired. The car, even though it's a 98, it's only got 66,000 or 67,000 miles on it. But you could see clearly that this car needed ignition. It needed plugs. Normally, you would do a set of wires. And as I pointed out to the customer, should we decide to do this in the future, because we haven't done them yet, I said, don't be surprised if it needs an ignition coil. I'm sure I'm going to flip the ignition coil assembly upside down and find a couple of cracks in the case. Interestingly enough, doing a little bit of a mist with a water bottle couldn't reproduce that misfire and that stumble that she talked about, and I let the 302 go. The the 440 fault, the P0440 in the EVAP, Maybe you could make an argument for lean adapt that and the lean adaptive fault code coming together. Maybe we've got a mass airflow sensor. This was the original 28012 mass airflow sensor in the car, which mass airflows in that generation Volkswagen are so bad, there's more than a few bulletins. Volkswagen has extended the warranty on those cars, not this one. This is the hard part to tell the person. From 2000 on up to about 2007, 2008, a lot of the four-cylinder Beetles and a lot of the four-cylinder Volkswagens, the mass airflow sensor warranty has been extended because they have such a high failure rate. In the case of this one, there's a 98. It didn't apply, but my point is you can still go through and diagnose the mass air. One of the things you can do for that, um, and there's a couple of ways, one of the things I find that works very well is we will bring up a calculated load value on a scan tool And under the right conditions, engine warmed up, obviously eliminating vacuum leaks and other things that can cause lean fuel adaptive limit reached and so forth. Part of the diagnosis is take the car for a ride under a heavy load, wide open throttle. If volumetric efficiency is correct and the vehicle is peak, we should see somewhere in the 85 to 90 percentile or above in terms of calculated load. The best this car would produce was 76%. Also, we had 18% long-term fuel trim and a constant 12 to 14% short-term fuel trim, all to the positive. This car was looking for fuel. It was, it was, it was over-calculating air delivery for some reason. Cleaned the mass airflow sensor, took it for a ride, and again, after doing some of the other preemptive things you would normally do during a diagnosis, but for the sake of this hour-long radio show, I'm not going to go into all of them. And saw fuel trim change radically. Fuel trim came down, calculated load value went up. 
We'll leave it alone. We'll leave it there for now. And as I said to the customer, you know, I don't like doing mass airflow sensor cleanings unless I have to. I have a real problem with spraying any chemical, and we're obviously using a chemical that's rated for mass airflow, but I just have an issue with spraying any chemical on something that delicate of an electronic device. In this case, it worked, and at least it gave me a diagnostic direction that, yeah, okay, it brought fuel trims down. It brought calculated load value up. You know, it's up to the customer now. Do you want to replace the $300 mass airflow sensor or not? The last ailment for this particular 98 Beetle, P0440, evaporative system emission fault. Now, one of the nice things about Volkswagen, wait a minute, let me check. Nope, it hasn't frozen over yet. I'm saying something nice about Volkswagen. One of the nice things about Volkswagen is the VAGCOM factory software. We use the Rostec VAGCOM software, which is the just about, and a lot of the dealers use it. It's, it's just one-tenth of a degree below dealer-level scan tool and a lot of dealers use it as dealer-level scan tool, is that it will give you, same as factory scan, the ability to do automated testing. And if you go in and you run test 070 and 071, you can actually check the evaporative emission system. You can check it the, the purge valve for operation, and you can check the leak detection pump for operation. Leak detection pump passed, purge valve's side of the system failed, took the purge valve out, and there's a couple of tests you can do it, but one of my favorites, what I've found from experience on VWs is, look at the inlet coming from the canister side. And this one was no different. It had like a black, very fine substance over the inlet. There's a little brass screen in there to help keep that valve clean. The entire brass inlet was coated with like a black powdery substance telling me that the, the charcoal canister is starting to break up or it's overloaded or saturated or uh, you know, it's, it's it's almost 20 years old now. Anything's possible, but it needed a purge valve. Put a purge valve in it, re-ran the test. The EVAP system passed. The fuel trim passed. Got nowhere on misfire because, well, there was no misfire. Bottom line, and what this open is really about, is sometimes a diagnosis can only be complete as the car allows it to be. As long as you follow proper procedure, as long as you go through your diagnostic routine, writing everything down, which I did, and keeping all your notes, which I did, and explaining to that vehicle owner, hey, here are the tests we ran, here's what we did, the vehicle runs fine, there's no lights on, time will tell, but expect it to come back with a check engine light on for at least one of the three possible faults. A mechanic can't go wrong in this mechanic's opinion. And I think I would have to say that if I wasn't a mechanic because logic has to predicate and dictate what you're dealing with. You're dealing with three intermittents, well, three problems, one of them intermittent, on an almost 20-year-old vehicle. How far do you go and how fast do you get there? Sometimes taking the extra couple of steps, like I said to him, let's give it a couple of days, let's see what returns, and then we'll know what direction to go in is better for the customer's pocketbook and the repair shop's self-image. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900. Just a different way to look at a diagnosis. Sometimes the best diagnosis is the one that you don't complete, but you explain why and leave it up to the customer to decide how much further do they want to go. And when they do go further, I'll report it back here on air because uh, I know you're interested in what happens on each and every one of these repairs of the week. This is an interview-free hour. We're here to take your calls. I see the phone bank is already lit up. Harry's doing his job. Let me pull over and take a pause. And when the car doctor returns, we'll kick the garage doors open. Don't go away.
Car Doctor, we're back. Real quick, look at this. We're getting response to email. Hey, Ron, I loved your opening about the 98 Volkswagen. I just want to add my two cents to the fact that, yeah, that purge valve is very common to fail, but I love the way you explained the fact that the failure was caused by the charcoal canister. I understand your concern about having to deal with three fault codes at once, and I can really appreciate how you broke it down into three separate repairs. Steve down in North Carolina. And, and you know, that's really what it's all about. It's, it's sometimes you've got to treat it like it's three separate repairs. How would you approach it? If there's no connection between the three, you don't know how long that check engine light's been on. You don't know to what level the car's been maintained, and you've got to deal with it on a case-by-case basis. So anyway, appreciate the comments, Steve, as I appreciate all the listener comments. And um, as always, the car doctor's here for each and every one of you. Let's uh, get over to the phone bank. Um, I see Harry standing in front of the microphone. He's... uh, Got a big smile on his face. How was your, uh, well, let's see, I talked to you last hour, Harry. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so um, nothing's changed in the last 60 minutes? Nope. Still in love, still Schwelte. Yeah, still Schwelte. Or Schwelter. So, um, and, you know, I should point out, too, that not a lot of people realize, although we've been talking about it, you were a heart attack victim three years ago. Four years ago. Four years ago. Six yeah. bypass. Yeah, six bypass. So uh, that's, uh, see, that's why you're doing this radio show. It motivates you to get, to get yes. Schwelter. 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 That's not what's motivating me. Yeah, I know. Um, speaking of which, let's get motivated. Who do we have on the phones? Well, Ron, uh, Steve is in Cleveland, Ohio. He's got a 99 Jeep Wrangler, and the thing has more coolant leaks than the Titanic did right after it hit the iceberg. Mm. So iceberg ahead, huh? Oh, it's unsinkable. Let's see what we can do for Steve. Steve, you're on with the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron. Thanks for taking the call here. Sir. You're welcome. Yeah, tell me, uh, tell, tell me about this. Yeah. 168,000 miles and bought it about two years ago. And uh, never not was in all the time that I've owned it. And my uh, coolant's on my suspension, so I see it. There's no mystery. But I have a plumbing issue, uh, and it's always always been at the radiator side. I had a Griffin. I ended up replacing that. I put a Mopar radiator in a couple years ago. And, um, and all of a sudden, it starts leaking on the water pump side on the thermostat housing and I put some Indian head uh, on gasket maker on it, and it started leaking out of the uh, drain the headcock. This I continually chase leaks on this, and I've never been able to steal it. Okay. I'm wondering what, what else is. Well, my first question is, what color? I'm going to approach this like I know nothing, Steve. What color is the coolant? Is it clean? Does the cooling system show any signs of rust residue? No signs of rust residue. It's definitely clean. By I've worked so much on it three months. Right. I'm pretty much replacing so. There's a there's a a product or a test procedure out there that you can get regarding the acidity of the coolant. Sometimes we refer to them as coolant dip strips or test strips. All right, and what it will do, if you remember, you know, junior high school science, we did that litmus paper test to learn if something was acidic or base. 
and it will it will test the cooling system to see if there's any acidity to it. And the reason it's so important, we incorporated in part of our annual cool. Here I am talking about annual maintenance again, but here we incorporated as part of our annual cooling system maintenance at the shop because it's not enough to know whether or not the coolant has good freeze point protection. It's also important to know has it turned acidic. It's like you know apple cider turning bad, uh, going hard, and um, you know it's possible that you've got a very high acidic content in this cooling system and it's weakened the system so that you go from you know it's like plumbing you go from one leak to the next leak to the next leak it just attacks the next weakest link so one of the things i'd like you to do is see if you can find locally or maybe via mail order maybe o'reilly auto parts has these they're just if you just you know call up and talk to them uh you know at o'reillyauto.com you can just see you know a coolant test strip and you want to make sure it does two things that it tests coolant freeze point and coolant acidity level or the ph level all right Mm -hmm. very important once we know the cooling system has proper ph and 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 good protection then let's have this conversation this is a four liter jeep correct what what's kind of common with these and i i i hate to tell you the bad news but if you if you keep springing leaks, then it's possible we've got a a, a head gasket issue. Um, yeah, one, one, one of the shops has said that, and the only reason I don't go that way is because I can do it cold right. with my with a pressure tester, and I leak even with a pressure tester. Okay, well, if if you're leaking even with a pressure tester, where are you leaking? You're leaking like at the hose clamp around the thermostat neck? Yep, hose clamps. And I've used every clamp I, I'm aware of. You know, spring clamps, worm drives. Nah, I shouldn't have to go clamps. through that. How how yeah. badly how badly pitted is that thermostat housing, Nick? Or it isn't? It's not, no. Okay, let me ask you this. If you put a fresh radiator hose on, and pressure test it. Will it leak at that clamped connection? Yeah, it's uh, all four inputs, and not counting uh, heater heater hoses. At one point or another, will leak. I just chase it around in a circle. Well, no, wait a minute. I mean, right away. I'll tell you what, Steve. Stay put. I don't want to rush through this because I think there's something else going on here, and I want to talk to you about it. I'm Ron Annie in the Car Doctor. Eight five 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 six zero. 9900 will return with Steve right after this. Don't go away. Evening, the car doctor eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Steve, Cleveland, Ohio. You're still there, sir. I am here. So, what my my point was, if if you were to test the coolant, pressure test the coolant with fresh hoses right away, cold, mm-hmm. does it leak? Yeah, I, guess I don't know that. Okay, and here's why I'm stressing that, and I'm in in my mind I'm coming back to. 
I wonder if the inside of this hose, I wonder what it's like. And I'm starting to think this hose is probably slimy, is what I call it. You look at the inside of the hose, and it's kind of slick, and it, mm-hmm. it, it's lost its ability to seal. And I'm wondering how acidic this cooling system is. And I'm so wondering... Even with fresh coolant, I... 50-50 is what I put in it. Right. It could still be acidic. Well, yeah, because, and, and that's the problem. Once once the system has gone acidic, the only way to really cure it is, and sometimes it takes two or three passes with a flush machine or an exchanger because you have to remove all the contaminant and the sediment out of the engine block. You know, one of the problems with doing drain and fills on cooling systems is the sediment that collects in the back of the block around the back cylinders, whether it's a a straight or a V, whatever it is, you'll never get that sediment out. You'll get, yeah, eventually you'll get some of the stuff out of the front. It's carried along with the drain. But unless you're doing an exchange, you don't swirl and, and carry the crud out. And over time it builds up, you know, and eventually it decomposes and it becomes it becomes acidic. As, as part of its, by definition of its environment, what it is. You know, listen, there's only a couple of things that are going to make a cooling system leak like you've got here. Either it's acidic, highly caustic, and it's just it's just rotted everything to the point that it's preventing it from proper seal, or going back to, do we have a head gasket issue? Now, you say, you know, you can pressure test it, and it still leaks cold. One of the things I'd like to see you do is take the radiator cap off. I don't know if you've done this or not. Take the radiator cap off, start it cold. Does the system blow coolant out of the radiator while you're cranking it? Yeah, and that all is is fine. It's um, uh, in fact, I've done the chem test on it, okay, and a and a uh, uh, I guess a com- compression test at the uh, at the spark plugs. Right, I had and a shop to do that, and everything was negative on that. Okay, and and you know a compression test. I don't think this is a head gasket issue. Let me let me preface it by saying that. But for education's sake and for everyone else's knowledge, if I want the be-all, end-all of do I have a comp- do I have a head gasket issue, I have an adapter in the shop. It's a, it's a, it looks like a spark plug with an air fitting on it, and I will put shop air in that cylinder. I'll crank it around top dead center. I'll fill the cylinder with shop air. I'll hold it by the crank or whatever means necessary. I'll put a hundred. I'll put one hundred fifty pounds of shop air right in that cylinder, and it it either holds or it doesn't. Either I'll see bubbles in the coolant or I'll hear air out the uh, uh, tailpipe or I'll see it out the intake or whatever, all right? Okay. Uh, you know, just mm-hmm. for knowledge's sake, that's, you know, because I'm looking to test the cylinder as a cylinder able to hold compression. A, a, a mechanical compression test is great if I want to determine, uh, you know, which cylinder has the misfire, but if I'm looking for a needle in a haystack like you're looking for, I want to put it under working conditions to the extreme the best that I can. All right. Yeah. That that okay. being said, all right. If you put a fresh radiator hose on this, upper and lower, and it doesn't leak there, and the leak now moves somewhere else. There's something breaking down that rubber hose, preventing it from sealing. And I come back to acidity. In my mind, that's all I all I have left. Then, yeah, right? because everything else is replaced. Right, because the color of the coolant. Doesn't necessarily, you know, it, it could be shiny green. It could look beautiful. I can't tell you how many times I've done coolant exchanges on acidic systems. The coolant looks great, but it's the contamination of the system within. And then the last step, two things. The last step is obviously make sure you've got a good radiator cap on there. When you go out to O'Reilly Auto Parts, when you go out to O'ReillyAuto.com, look at the Stant radiator caps they have and maybe make sure you've got a good Stant cap on this. Nobody makes a better cap than Stant. Last, 
Look at the coolant bottle. How clean is the coolant overflow bottle? And it's very clean only because I've taken it out and cleaned it. But I will say about a year and a half ago when the first shop looked at it, that was the problem. There was there was just gook in the bottom of that tank. Right. We thought that was the problem, that my overflow was, was causing the leak. No. You know, the overflow is there as a capture. That's all it's going to do. It's going to mm-hmm. capture the excess and feed excess back in, maintain system level. But if that mm-hmm. system was gooked, for lack of a better word, I'll use your term, if it had gunk in it, it was gooky, um, you know, where did that come from? I bet this system is acidic, and that's that's causing yeah. degradation, and the system is rotting from the inside out. Is that fixable? Uh, a couple of flushes, yes. I mean, listen, okay. it, you've got nothing to try. If the system does test acidic, look at the pH level. If the system does test acidic, you've got nothing to try but flushes because short of that, you're putting an engine in the car, and you're not, you don't want to do that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, okay. all right. So stay, well, stay, in, stay in touch with me, Steve. Take my email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. If you, uh, if, if you come up with something else, if you've got any other questions, I kind of want to know what's going on with this because uh, this, this sounds like a good one. Four-liter Jeeps are pretty durable. I've had more than a few in the family, and you know I, I want to see where this goes. I want to add the fix for this to, uh, to the knowledge pool for future generations. All right, kiddo? Fantastic. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Steve. You take good care and let us know how you how you make out. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. The Car Doctor, 855-560-9900, here to take your calls and answer your questions. Call, leave a message, the 24-hour Car Doctor hotline, 855-560-9900. Fast Harry, our executive producer, will get you in the lineup for the following week and talk to you here on air about your car and its problem. Speaking of phone lines, let's get over and talk to George, West Hartford, Connecticut, 99 Chrysler 300, and uh, some issues here. George, welcome to The Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Yes, thank you so much, uh, Ron. I want to ask you a question, you know, like, um, I'm looking at this from a consumer point of view, but I've also like your opinion as a mechanic. Sure, go ahead. Okay, so um, the issue with this car was it had a ticking from the motor. Okay. So I brought it to my mechanic for him to look at it to make sure that, you know, is this an internal? What's going on with the vehicle? All right. So then they do all these tests, and they told me that um, it just had some normal valve, valve train noise being an older car. Right. But that was, but that was not an internal problem in the motor, that it was uh, a stretched belt and a tensioner around the, the belt and the, front and the motor, you know, where the pulleys are. Okay. Now, when you, say, when you say belt, George, you're talking serpentine belt or timing belt? Serpentine belt. Okay. Okay, so they're saying, you know, the, the serpentine belt tensioner, that it was um, worn, so it made the belt stretch, and that was the noise that you were hearing. All right. So then at that time, they, they told me that, um, you know, that they were going to put that all new and that the noise would go away. So, I, you know, I told them that, you know, since the car was there to do an oil change. Now, after they did the oil change and did all this work, the, you know, the tapping got louder. And basically, the motor's finished. 
Now, my question to you is this sounds like a misdiagnosis because I myself, I thought there was something internal in the engine. Right. You know, them being mechanics and being professionals, you know, I think that they would, would know this. And I'd like, you know, to know your opinion on uh, where to stand on this. Let me ask you, let me let me answer the question this way. Probably 12, 14 years ago, had a customer, semi-regular customer, mm-hmm. come in with a late model Toyota, a couple of five, six-year-old Toyota Camry at the time, for an oil mm-hmm. change and a tire rotation. And as part and parcel of that repair, driving the car, it was summer, I put the driver's window down. Put the driver's window down, didn't want to come back up. You know, put the window down. Mm-hmm. I never right, forgot right. this one. Put the window down, and it was stuck down. It just, and the regulator had failed. And, you know, the conversation was, you broke my car. And it was, well, did I really break your car? I was operating it in the manner to which it was intended. Uh, you know, I had to put the windows down to, to and we always put windows down in the shop uh, on mm-hmm. a car because, you know, cars today with automatic locks, and for so many years it's automatic locks, you always worry about locking keys in the car. And, uh, you know, it was a sticky situation. We ended up losing the customer over it. He didn't see it from our perspective. I offered to fix it for the cost of the part just to keep him happy because you do what you can, but he wanted the whole thing reimbursed, and I wouldn't do that. I didn't think that was my obligation. So there's always that sticky side of, of the relationship. My first, my first question: Is this a long-term relationship with this mechanic? Yes. So, you know, you trust them, obviously. Yes. I don't see the connection between the oil change and the noise getting louder, unless it was mm-hmm. just, you know, George. Uh, I'm sorry, George. It, it could have just been yep. the luck of the draw. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's just—is it one of those things that you just sort of laugh off and say? Not laugh off, but you know what I'm saying. Is it is it just one of those unfortunate situations? You, you need the wisdom of Solomon here. If it were me, I'd be George. I don't know what happened. We changed the oil. The noise got louder. Listen, uh, you know, there there is obviously something here that we missed. I don't know that we could have prevented it, and I really don't think the shop could have prevented it. The only thing they could have done wrong here was start the car without any oil in it, but if they've been your long-term mechanic and this is the first time you've ever had an issue with them, uh, you know, they don't sound like a shop that has incompetence in their bloodline, if you know what right. I'm saying. It, yeah, it, he has been around for 30 years. So right. He's not a newcomer. Right. It's he's, he's, he's no babe in the woods. And even if he had the young oil change kid doing the oil change, mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, like so many shop owners out there, that apprentice mechanic has the boss breathing over his neck all day long anyway to make sure what he's doing is proper and he doesn't touch a car until he knows which end of the wrench to hold. So I, I think the conversation has to be, look, let's chalk it up to a bad experience. Whatever happened in the engine happened. But I think as a matter of goodwill, just my opinion as a, as a shop owner, mm-hmm. I think it's got to be you don't owe us anything. Let's chalk it up to experience and move on. Okay. Just, just And that's what, I, that's, that's what I wanted to do was just, you know, you have your opinion on something fair for both parties. Right. And, you know, I think it's got to come back to him and say, look, I, I, I want you to continue to be my mechanic. <laughs> right. You know, I don't, want to, yeah. I, I don't want to change mechanics. Um, right. Things happen. Things are going to go wrong in auto repair. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like my friend Tim says to me all the time. One of the things about auto repair is 
You're always wearing Band-Aids. You know, it, it, it's, you're always getting hurt. Something is always going to go wrong that causes you to think a little different outside the box. It's part of the process. And, you know, it's nothing is cut and dry, and I think that's what you've got going on here, George. I, 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 think, mm-hmm. I think the conversation with him has to be whatever his name is, Fred, Joe, John, listen, I want you to continue to be my mechanic. I get it. I don't think you did anything wrong. I, I think you just sort of stepped into it by virtue of whatever reason. It had a noise. The noise got louder. You know, did he do the last oil change by curiosity? Yes. Yes. Then I can't imagine it that the oil was doctored up for whatever reason. Maybe there was something so fragile for that moment of, you know, the engine not having enough oil pressure, that lifter collapsed the rest of the way, uh, cranking it over from a dry engine. Mm-hmm. You know, could he have put a bad new oil filter on the car? Sure, anything's possible. Are we going to be able mm-hmm. to prove it? Not likely. Not without mm-hmm. um, a lot of effort. And how much effort do we want to go through on a 16-year-old car? Right, uh, that's my point. Yeah. Right, you know, it's it's I I and, and you know what, the argument also has to go this way. Hey George, if he said to you, Hey George, it needs an engine, would you have put an engine in the car? No. Then you know what, and you got to say that to him. Listen, Joe. Well, and he actually told me that it wouldn't be worth it uh, right. to do that anyway. You know, so Joe, listen, I just want you to continue to be my mechanic. Can we just wash our hands of this? I'll give you the car. Let him scrap the car. Get what he can for it. If he gets a couple of two hundred dollars from the scrapyard, that covers his cost of material, or at least pay him for the cost of the parts, George. And, well, and that's what I, and that's exactly where I was going with this. The, the, yeah, you're thinking exactly my thing. Yeah, I. You know what? There's only a finite number of customers in the world. All right. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a new customer. There's only an old customer that got annoyed with their last shop that didn't respond to their needs properly, or they couldn't. You know, they couldn't meet their – they couldn't come to terms. That's where we get divorced from, right? So right. this is a case of, you know, listen, I don't want to get a divorce. I'd like to stay married. What do we got to do to work this out? But it's got to be good for both parties. And from there on, we'll take it up with that. All right, sir? Okay. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, George. Good luck to you, and uh, I hope things look better for you in 16. I'm Ron Annie in the car, doctor. I'll be back right after this. Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900 is the 24-7 Car Doctor hotline. Call, leave a message. Fast Tower executive producer will get you in the lineup and talk to you about your car problem the next time this show is live on air. As we wind down this hour, let's do a quick piece of email. This is from Cassell. Ron, I've got a 2011 Toyota Toyota Sienna six-cylinder automatic with 60,000 miles. After it's been sitting for a few hours, when I start the engine, there's a lot of white smoke that comes out of the tailpipe, but then clears up as I drive, and it doesn't emit smoke after that. Should I be concerned? Yeah, well, let's have a conversation here. Are we losing any fluids? You know, white smoke is typically a coolant issue, and while 2011 Toyotas don't really have a head gasket issue, anything is possible, are you losing coolant? Is it just a matter of smoke? How long has this been going on? Is this something that occurs once in a while, or is it every time? So if it's if you are finding that you're adding coolant to it, then I would say we're we're losing coolant out this vehicle, and we've got to go find out why. And at that point, I'd be kind of surprised. Sixty thousand miles Sienna, 
Um, any check engine lights on? Any any warning indicators coming on? What's been the service history of the vehicle? It's a 2011. Hopefully by now you've done a coolant exchange at least once, uh, which it would be, it'd be uh, just about five years now, so it should have been done once. Uh, 60,000 miles on it. Did it have its service at 30? Um, kind of an odd complaint. Now, the other side of that is, if we want to be a naysayer, we could say that is the white smoke strictly because it's cold out. and We're just seeing exhaust white smoke, and then as the engine warms up and the uh, temperatures change inside the engine, it doesn't smoke as much, um, et cetera. Is, you know, how often does this happen? But I don't think so. I think what you're describing to me is legit. I would have a mechanic check it out, and by all means, look for possible loss of coolant. White smoke is generally coolant and uh, kind of take it from there. If you have any other questions, ron at cardoctorshow.com. Send me an email. I'm Ron and Annie in the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya!